You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right. Well, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake, and I'm so glad that you're joining us this morning. In fact, I've been really looking forward to this Sunday for quite, quite a while because today, what we're going to do, as you can see, Midtown Vision uh, series is what we're gonna do is we're going to uh, share with you where we're headed as a church and how we're playing on or aiming to get there. But before I do that, I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson, if you will, of Midtown Church. For those of you that have been with us for a while, this can be familiar, but for those of you who are new, this might be brand new, or this will be brand new information. Uh, but it just kind of catches up on kind of where we have been so that we can kind of set the stage of where God's taken us next, right? And so uh, Midtown Church began eight years ago. In fact, uh, the 26th, so this week, is our eight-year birthday. So happy birthday to us. Way to go. Way to be, be alive for eight years. Um, yeah, there you go. Th- thank you. Thank you. The, um, but the truth is, is that Midtown's story began way before that. Because uh, Midtown was actually born out of a vision that began about 20-plus uh, years ago. And it, uh, with a church named Hill Country, Bible Church, and Hill Country Bible Church is located in Northwest Austin, and that church uh, was growing, and and yet they were feeling the sense from the Spirit of God that, like, what are, what are we, like, really trying to do? Are we just trying to become the biggest church we possibly can be, or has God called us to something, you know, beyond that? And they prayed, and the, and the leadership really sought God's direction, and they, re, they realized, you know what, I think what God has really put before us is not just to be a big church. I think what God's put before us is to try to get the gospel to every man, woman, and child in the city of Austin. And this vision was born, this every man, woman, and child vision was born out of that time. And the, the vision is that we will get, see the day when every man, woman, and child would hear the gospel from someone who loves them. And that vision, and them saying yes to, to Jesus on that day, led them to begin planting churches. And so they started uh, planting churches and the churches that they planted had that same vision that every man, woman, and child vision. And so many of those churches that they started, started churches themselves. And over a course of about 30 years, there have been over 35 Hill Country Bible Church churches started in the city of Austin. So, I mean, you including the suburbs. So from everywhere from you know, Southwest Austin to Buda, to Pflugerville, to Round Rock, to Georgetown, to Hutto, to Leander, to Liberty Hill, and throughout, including a number of churches in those, you know, Austin proper and here with Midtown, Central Austin area. And we give God praise for that. I mean, that's an um, absolutely an amazing thing because they realized that church all the way 30 years ago realized like it doesn't matter how big we get we're never going to get the gospel to a whole city but we're going to start multiple churches so that we can work together to see that day become a reality and so we were born out of that we're actually a granddaughter church if you will we were planted by hill country bible church pflugerville and that church was planted by the original hill country bible church and so we are a part 
And this might be news to you, but we're a part of an association or a family of churches. And what unites us is not a governing body or anything like that. What unites us is that we have similar theology and we have similar vision. And that vision being to see the day when every man, woman, child hears the gospel. Someone who loves them. And by the grace of God, thousands and thousands and thousands of people in our city have. And again, we praise God for that. However, over the last couple of years in the association of churches, uh, we have had this kind of conversation going amongst the lead pastors of these churches. And what we've identified is that though the every man, woman, and child vision is is great and yes and amen we want to see that day happen everyone's heard the gospel what we realize is that that vision really fits better with the movement of churches than it does with an individual than any individual church and that many churches including us have realized that that vision though yes we want to see that happen it, it can feel a little too big and a little too narrow for a church like ours and here's what I mean by that. It can feel a little bit too big in the sense that if you, our church, our size, saying, okay, we're going to get the gospel to, the, to every man, woman, child in all of our ever-increasing, growing city, it's like, well, are, like, are we really, like, we're, how is that going to happen? We're not going to do that. And we're not alone. But we believe through the body of Christ and the power of God, it can happen. So we set our sights on that. We pray for that. But it is a vision that's united multiple churches, not just one church. So it's a little big for one church. In addition, it feels a little narrow. And I don't know if you feel that. I know a number of people in our church do feel that because I've had lots of conversations with people in our church about this. And, and here's the thing what I mean by narrow is that it's all about people hearing the gospel from someone who loves them. And again, yes and amen to that. We are all about that. We want that to happen. Let's partner with God to see that happen, friends. However, it's not the only thing we want to have happen, is it? Like, we just to state the obvious, not only do we want people to hear the gospel from someone who loves them, we want them to believe it. We want them to actually trust that Jesus loves them and put their faith in him, right? But our vision doesn't say anything about that. In addition, it, we not only want them to hear it, but we want them to experience it, right? Like, we want them to, to, to feel God's love, to see it demonstrated, to see that it actually, the gospel transformed not just lives, but the city and society, communities as a whole. We want it to be fleshed out in justice and compassion and mercy and hospitality and people being served like Jesus has served us and all of that stuff. But again, the vision, it doesn't say anything about that either. And so we have over the course of the world since January, we have said, okay, you know what? Uh, let's let's begin asking God, what do you, what what do you want for Midtown's future? And the leadership of Midtown, which includes the elders and staff, our women's leadership team, and then some of our MC leaders, all were part of this conversation. We prayed and we fasted and we prayed a lot more all through the spring. And our big question throughout the spring has been, now what do, what do you want, Jesus? What do you want? for and through Midtown Church, because Jesus is the leader of this church. He's the chief shepherd, and so we look to him for direction as the head of the church. Like, Jesus, what do you want? So we've been asking that and asking that, praying and praying and praying, having lots of conversations, and finally, it felt like forever, he just wasn't getting an answer throughout the whole spring, but near the end 
of spring, late spring. Remember, I was sitting out on my porch and I was reading through the Sermon on the Mount. And there comes a point in that that Jesus begins teaching about prayer. And then he prays, right? And uh, often, just kind of a side note, often one of the things I love about listening in on someone's prayer is, is that when someone prays, usually they get to a point where they kind of express what's on their heart. Because at some point in the prayer, right, you're going to ask God for something or to do something. And so you kind of get this insight into like, what, what, do, you, what do you want? What's, what's on your heart? Well, in Matthew 6, that's what you have God the Son, Jesus, doing as he talks to the Father. That early on in this, what's famously known as the Lord's Prayer, he asked for something. And it just jumped out to me. I mean, it's very familiar words, probably to many of us in this room. Very familiar, but it just jumped out to me on that day because here's what Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I read those words and I thought, Yes. Jesus, that's what you want. That's what, that's what I want. And I remember pushing back in my chair and just taking a deep breath, you know, exhaling. I hold out my hands and saying, yes, that's what I want. Jesus, that's what you want. Because what is that? I want, I want, hallowed be your name. Like, I want your name, God, to be revered. And I want, God, I want your kingdom to come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's that look like? Well, it looks like a place where people actually are reconciled to God, where they know who God is and what he's done for them and how he loves them. And they return in trust in him and loving him and praising him. And in heaven, where is that? Like, what's that like? It's, it's where relationships are whole. Right, where, where nothing is broken any longer, where communities, diverse communities, are unified and love one another and serve one another. It's, it's where justice reigns. It's where compassion and service are experienced by all. It's, it's this beautiful, what God intended picture. Who doesn't want that? Jesus, you want that? I want that. So I took that idea out, took it to our leaders, talked to them about it, we prayed about it, we had a conversation about it, we prayed some more, and across the board, everyone was said the same thing. Yes, Lord, we want what you want. We want the kingdom to come. We want your will to be done. On earth, yes, but because we're here in Austin, in Austin, as it is in heaven. And so this morning, I'm just excited to say that we believe God's leading us into a new chapter of our church. And where we're headed is, well, it's that. What we want, what our vision, but I think better put, what our big prayer is as a church is this. God, in Austin as it is in heaven. In Austin as it is in heaven. Would you make it so? And to show you how excited we are about this, we put together a little bit of a little video and we tooled with our logo, if you notice that.
Okay, now I want some excitement. Are, are you, can, is this something you can get excited about? Okay, well, I was, I was hoping you'd respond that way. I don't see anyone just like, thanks, Justin, anyone just like getting up and walking out of the room. Like, I don't want that. So I'm, I'm, encouraged, I'm encouraged by that. But like, so our logo, just to pay attention to that, like it used to be this way and now it's this way. When it was this way, it was just about Midtown being in the middle of the city. And it's like, oh yeah. But now it's like where heaven and earth combine. This is what we're aiming for. You see that? Like, and it's still the middle of the city. So it still works both, both ways. And so it's just a way to reinforce, like this is what we want to pray for, set our sights on and partner with God in, would he make it so his kingdom come, his will be done in Austin? Yes, the whole earth, but because he has us right now in Austin, in Austin as it is in heaven. Friends, let's do that together. I think Jesus is inviting us into that, and I'm super excited about it. Of course, that does lead to the next question, right? And the obvious question is, okay, yeah, that would be great in Austin as it is in heaven, but how, how does that happen? Like, how do we actually partner with God to see that take place? And that's a very good question. And the answer to that question is actually quite simple. It's not easy, but it's quite simple. Because the answer to that question is this. It's by following Jesus. Because listen, the city of Austin will become a lot more like heaven as we become a lot more like Jesus. The city of Austin will become a lot more like, Jesus, like heaven as we become a lot more like Jesus. And so the, the, the answer to the question, how is this going to happen, is that we have, we have become like Jesus, which is what God is wanting to do in our lives, as we're about to see. But like that's, that's how it's going to come about. And so for our church, what that means for us is that we are going to double down on what we've you know, kind of really all been about, but we're going to double down on helping one another follow Jesus, or what we're calling practice the way of Jesus, that we're going to double down on doing that together. Now, here's the thing. We talk a lot about following Jesus around here. Like, I'm a follower of Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, community of followers of Jesus, but I'm afraid that it's a kind of an abstract term for many of us. And I'm not sure if we really fully understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so the remaining part of my time with you this morning, I just wanna kind of boil down or really try to bring clarity to the idea of what does it mean to follow Jesus? Because it's crucial, it's essential. If we're gonna partner with God to see in Austin as it is in heaven, heaven become more like Austin, we have to become followers and more like Jesus. So what does that exactly look like? now? Full disclosure here, what I'm about to teach you, I have learned primarily from, not only, but primarily from a pastor and author named John Mark Comer. And this guy is, is a huge, huge fan of this guy. And he's his teaching, his book that he wrote, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Alyssa's like freaking out back there. She's also a big fan of this guy. And so like, I couldn't recommend this book more to you. Really, really great. But in it, he's really helped me get clarity around like on a practical side what it looks like to follow Jesus what it means to follow Jesus and so I just want to give him his props and point y'all to that but here's what I've learned from him I've learned that the essence or the real like you know boil it down what does it mean to follow Jesus it, it all kind of sits on the idea or the understanding that Jesus was a rabbi that Jesus was a rabbi which is a Hebrew word for 
teacher, right? Now, of course, Jesus was more than that. We believe that Jesus is the son of God, and he's the promised Messiah, all that. But chances are that if you were uh, in first century Israel, and you were chilling in a synagogue one on the Sabbath day, and Jesus was to show up, the category that you would put Jesus in is that of a rabbi. He's going to be there. He starts teaching, and he's like, okay, that he must be a rabbi. In fact, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, out of the 90 times that Jesus is addressed, 60 of those times he's addressed as rabbi or as teacher, all right? So that Jesus was a rabbi, and rabbis had disciples. Or another word for disciple is apprentice. Like, that's a better understanding of what it means to be a disciple in our day. Like, we think student, but student, eh, it, it's an apprentice. And rabbis had apprentices. They had disciples. Now, um, of course, Jesus also had disciples and he had apprentices. But did you know that uh, Jesus wasn't the first rabbi to ever have disciples? That he wasn't the first to actually do this thing called that we talk about as discipleship? That that was, had been around for a long time. In fact, uh, you know, again, John Mark Comer, what I've learned from him is that like, there, was a, there was a famous rabbi named um, Rabbi Hillel, who was on the scene just a little bit before Jesus, and he had 70 disciples, 70 disciples. And so like that happened before Jesus. In fact, did you know this, that discipleship, that of like rabbi having apprentices, that, that actually originated in Greece hundreds of years before Jesus, that Plato was actually a disciple of Socrates. Perhaps you remember that from your history class, right? Like, hey, school doesn't start till next week. Why are you making me think like that? But yeah, so discipleship started, like that process, that whole concept had been around for some time. In fact, it was the pinnacle of the Jewish educational system at the time of, of Jesus. And so, like, I'm going to nerd out on you just a little bit, and but I'm going to try to keep it short, but track with me here, because I find this really fascinating and, and interesting, and there's a point to it, but, like, the Jewish educational system had three elements to it. The first was known as Beit Sefer, and it was essentially a grade school where you would learn to read, write, do, you know, basic math, and because it was an oral culture, you would also memorize all, most if not all, of the Torah, which are the first five books of the Old Testament or in their Jew, the Jewish scriptures. It's like, that's a lot, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Can you imagine? Memorize by the age 12. So I have two sons, Camp and Enoch. Hey, guys, um, I, I have failed you. you. You were supposed to have memorized the Torah by now, and so, sorry, but uh, you're, you're nowhere. Um, so that's, that was the first level of education. But after that, most all students were done at that time. Unless you were like really, really gifted or you were wealthy. Then you could go to the second level of their education system, which was, named, which was known as Beit, Beit Talmud, if I say that right, which I'm sure I'm not. Um, and Beit Talmud was, was uh, where they would actually have a school, they would hire a teacher, full-time teacher, and they would teach the, the kids that were 12 and up from there. The rest of the students, most of most all the other kids weren't a part of that. 
they would go back home and they would apprentice on their mom and dad to learn the you know, family business. But just the select few made it to the second level, right? And in this second level, one of the things to do, and you gotta keep in mind, this is oral history. This, I mean, this is an oral culture, but they would literally memorize all of the Old Testament or all of the Hebrew scriptures, which is a lot. I mean, I want, I'm not gonna make you raise your hand, but. I, I would be surprised if even half of us have actually read all of the Old Testament, and they had memorized it. It's pretty, pretty wild. So then, if you completed, uh, Beit, uh, say, Beit Talmud, which most like ended up kind of flunking out of that, but if you completed that, then everyone was done. Everyone was done. There was like, unless you were the best of the best of the best. Like you think, think the uh, Rhodes Scholar, the Summa Cum Laude, the, the Texas Aggie, you're like, you know, the most prestigious. Yeah. Look, y'all gonna be back in the SEC, then this rivalry is gonna get going again, all right? So I'm gonna just, you know, take that. But anyways, the, yeah. So the, right, the best of the best, they got to go to the next level. And the next level was that of apprenticing under a rabbi. And friends, I can't tell you that this was so, I mean, I can't stress it enough that this is so hard for them to get into, incredibly hard to get into, uh, just to even qualify to be interviewed by a rabbi. And then you got grilled and most weren't selected, but just a few lucky ones, the best of the best, the smartest, the ones that were, you know, the most driven and the most knowledgeable, the best acumen, like they were the ones and that they would might hear from a rabbi, say, come follow me. And if you were given that prestigious invitation to follow a rabbi, then you would drop everything. You'd leave the family business and you would go and follow the rabbi. And not follow like on Insta, right? Like, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, but like 24-7 go and follow this rabbi. In fact, your whole goal would be to reorient your life around three things. The first would be to be with your rabbi. The second would be to become like your rabbi. And the third would be to do what your rabbi did. And friends, that's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's the essential elements of being a disciple or apprentice of Jesus. To be with him, to become like him, so you can do what Jesus did. Now, keeping that in mind, it makes sense what you read in the gospel accounts when Jesus starts calling his disciples. So you all want to just read a few of these for you so you can see this in action. So if you have a Bible, you can go to Mark chapter 1. We're just going to jump around a little bit. But in Mark chapter 1, we see the beginning of this when Jesus says, uh, verse 16, when he says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people, which <laughs> we we kind of cringe whenever they, they'll send you out to fish for people. It's like, really, Jesus? Like, that's the line you're going to come up with? Like, you're Jesus. Can't you do better than that? It's a little cheesy, right? But the, the truth is, is that idea, the, the, the phrase fish for people or fishers of men, that was a well-known Hebrew idiom of that day that was a way to speak of a, a great teacher. 
And so just notice this, that what you have in this invitation is Jesus saying, hey, come follow me, and I'm going to make you into a great teacher. Because why? Because he was a rabbi. He was a great teacher. So be with me, become like me, and then you can do what I did. And notice how they respond. It's next verse, verse 18. It says, and at once they left their nets and followed him. Why? Because they had received the incredible offer that no one gets, right? The, the invitation to be with a rabbi, not just any rabbi, but, but Jesus, right? And all the rumors about who he is, is he maybe the Messiah? And so like, they're like, yeah, I'll drop everything. I'll go. And they weren't the only ones. If you just keep reading in Mark chapter one, very next verse, it says, when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. And then if you go to the next chapter, Mark chapter two, you see this again. And it says, once again, Jesus was out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. And again, this idea of getting up and following him, that was a 24-7 commitment. Leaving my business, I'm reorienting my whole life around these girls. Be with, become like, do what he did and it was a joy it was a joy to be able to be with your rabbi in fact there was a blessing a well-known blessing in the first century uh israel which was uh something like this is kind of you know tweaked a little bit to make it make sense in english but it was may may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi right and uh, that was they were speaking of literal dust because it was dusty. And they were saying, it's a blessing to follow your rabbi so closely that his dust is kicked up on you. That was the idea of follow here. Now, if you go to the next chapter, Mark chapter 3, you see this at play again. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons, which gets a little spooky on that last part, right? The driving out demons thing is like, whoa, I don't know. But that's what Jesus had been doing up to that point. He'd been teaching and he'd been driving out demons. And so this is Jesus saying, okay, here, I'm calling people to do what? Be with me. That's what it says. Be with me, right? So that as you become like me, you can do what I've been doing. There are a lot of other passages I can go to to flesh this out, but I'll, I'll stop here. Hopefully it's enough, right? Hopefully it's becoming clear for you. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple or an apprentice under the rabbi Jesus. It means to say it with me, be with him, become like, you can talk in church, come on, I want to try to get to this in your head, right? Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. All right, I know that was a little elementary school, but like, you know, that's what it means. Now, if you hear that and you think, okay, that's clear, Jake, I, I get it, that's what it means to follow Jesus. In the first century, like if I was in Israel in the first century, then I got it, right? Because I could actually be with Jesus and be covered in the dust of my rabbi, right? But how do you do that now in the 21st century in Austin, Texas? Like, what does this look like for us today? 
That's a great question. And I'm going to spend the next three weeks getting into that. That's where we're going in this series. Next week, we're going to talk about really drilling down what it looks like to be with Jesus. And then we're going to talk about what it looks like to become like Jesus, how it's possible and what happens. And then we're going to do, get into doing what Jesus did. And so I really have a lot to say that I'm so excited to say about that. I hope you'll join us for that. It's going to help us flesh this out. But I won't leave you hanging completely this morning. So let me just tell you, the way that this is possible today is because or through the relationship with the Holy Spirit. Read John 14. Read John 15. Read John 16. Jesus starts talking about leaving, but he says, when I leave, you're going to still be able to abide in me. How is that possible? He says, because I'm sending the Spirit of God to you. See, through the Holy Spirit, friends, we have the blessing of not just being covered of the dust of our rabbi, but being indwelt by the very spirit of the rabbi. And so we can be with him at all times. And he can bear his fruit of his character in us as we stay in step with the spirit, making us like him, and then enabling us to do what he did. It is possible to still be a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus. In fact, I could argue it's more possible now than it was in the first century. You know what that means? It means the city of Austin can be populated with people who are a lot like Jesus. And it means that this UT campus can be populated with people who are a lot like Jesus. And it means your neighborhood and your office space, if you ever go back to your office space, can be populated with people who are a lot like Jesus. And when that happens, those places are gonna be a lot more like heaven. Because this is possible. And I wanna invite you into it. But more than that, more importantly than that, more significantly than Jesus wants to invite you into this. Because if you remember way back at the beginning of this message, when Dee Dee was up here, she's awesome, and she was reading Mark chapter 8, do you remember how that passage began? It began this way. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And you know what that means? It means you're all invited to be Jesus's disciple. See, whoever means whoever. Whoever means you. Whoever means me. Like whoever, this is, and this is radical because if you remember, the call to follow a rabbi was never offered to just anybody. You had to be the best of the best of the best. You had to earn it. You had to prove yourself. You had to justify it. So the idea of a rabbi sitting up in front of a large crowd and just saying, hey, whoever wants to be my disciple, come on. Like that was incredibly unheard of. Why in the world could Jesus do that? Why would he do that? It's because what qualifies to be Jesus' rabbi is not what we've done, but what he's done for us. And because of what he's done for us, it's possible for all of us to follow him. And so the question becomes, 
Will you? The question for all of us today is, will you take Jesus up on his invitation, his offer to follow him, to be with him, to become like him, to do what he did? It's offered to everybody, but you got to choose to accept the invitation. Now, you might be here right now and think, man, like, like I'm just here because my girlfriend invited me, and I don't know what I think about Jesus or God or any of this stuff. If that's where you are, then I would say, hey, we're so glad you're here, and that's cool. Like, you're welcome to take your time and explore. Ask questions. You won't offend us. We're all about that. But for the rest of y'all, for those who say, okay, I'm a Christian. I've put my faith in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of my sins. I trust him as my savior. I would say, okay, yes, that's great. He's your savior. Now, would you choose to also make him your rabbi? Would you choose to make him your Lord and follow after him? Will you? It's a question I really want all of y'all to answer. Two years ago, I, um, I went through a really hard time. There was some stuff that was happening in my life that was extremely painful. And I was just kind of, I just realized I was kind of plateaued in my walk with Jesus. Things with, 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 with uh, Jesus had gotten dry and kind of distant. And I was having a hard time. And then I came across this passage again. And there was Jesus' offer once again, right to me, right where I was, whoever wants to follow me. And I thought, there are some places in my life where my discipleship with Jesus is yet to touch. And I really need some transformation. So by the grace of Jesus, who sits, stands there with his arms open all the time, inviting us into this, I said yes. And so I started reordering my life again around these things, being with Jesus, working that in more in my everyday and becoming like Jesus and all these things that followed and reaching out in community to get help from others, met with a counselor and opened up to even more with some of my friends to get help in this area. You know what I found? This might not surprise you. It shouldn't have surprised me, but you know what I found? Um, Jesus is right that life is hard. He did not kid around with that. In this world, you will have trouble. But he is awesome. And in him is life and life to the full. And what I have found is even in the hard places of life, there is joy and peace and comfort and love to be grasped in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the hard. And you know what? It's good. It is good because he is good. And friends, the offer to follow him, to be his disciple is an offer into life. And I want that for you. Jesus wants that for you. And if you take him up in his offer, 
it's going to bless you and it's going to bless this city as well. Because as you become more like Jesus, the city of Austin is going to become a lot more like heaven. So I want to invite you into that today. If you're interested in saying yes to that invitation, tell Jesus. And then tell someone else. It doesn't have to be me. I would love to hear it. <laughs> but tell someone else because, as we're going to see in the next few weeks, you need community to help you practice the way of Jesus. That's why we say, okay, we're going to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. So tell somebody. And then let's begin doing this together. Cool? So are you in? You want to do that? Let's follow Jesus. Let's see Austin become a lot more like heaven. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.